You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. So, first things first. Happy Memorial Day tomorrow, but we're celebrating it. So I want to just take an opportunity to honor, um, uh, and us for, to honor those who have given their lives in the service of our country. And so, um, I found this picture a while back. This is my dad's um, uh, EOD unit in Vietnam. And my dad is this guy right here. Probably could recognize him if you really thought about it. He's the one holding the beer right here. Okay? That's my dad right there. The big ears and everything. And my dad lost a lot of these guys that he served in EOD with in Vietnam. And as a child, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and he would take me down to the Vietnam Memorial, and he would quietly... As we look at the names, and I, there's, if you've ever been, there's thousands upon thousands of names of these men and women who, who died. And this isn't just the only place that American soldiers, men and women, servicemen have given their life. But in particularly, my dad would go down and he would find some of the guys in his unit and he'd just quietly put his hand over their name and just rub across their name. And that picture stuck with me because there's a sacrifice that we need to spend time to honor in this country. And it's a sacrifice when a service man or service woman has given their life in the course of serving our country to protect our liberty and to protect our freedom. And so it's important in our nation to remember that and to honor that and to pass that down. Amen. Can I get an amen? All right, all right. So we honor those servicemen and women who have given their life. I just wanted to show you that because, uh, number one, it's my dad, but um, it's amazing that those men that he served with lost their life and in the pursuit of our freedom. Okay. So today I want to continue in in our, in our series that we've been going through in, in the book of Acts. And so, open up your Bibles to Acts 2. We're still in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And so what I'm going to talk to you today about is we started last week talking about this idea of the measurement of maturity. And as we look at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, what we see is a couple of things that we can look on how the Holy Spirit began to shape the early church, the believers, the men and women who were part of the way, this new emerging uh, faith, if you would, believing upon Jesus Christ as both Messiah and Lord and Savior, um, that they began to, the Holy Spirit began to form in them the, ne- the necessary uh, gifts and attributes for them to grow and for the church to grow. And that hasn't changed today. Those same things are in our life. And so we have to look to the Word when we talk about what maturity in the Holy Spirit looks like. And this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the idea here, the big idea that I want to present to you, is that we are in a church that, that we honor the Holy Spirit. And most people here would say that they love when the Holy Spirit moves. And we should. We should desire that earnestly. We should desire it more and more in our personal life, in our corporate time. We should want the Holy Spirit to move. We should want the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move. And when we read the book of Acts, a lot of times what we do is that we look at the big stories in there and we stand in awe. I hope you do. 
I hope you read about the, the supernatural and the miraculous events, how the Holy Spirit infused the church, and they did the things that Jesus did, and they saw amazing things, and people were came, to the, came into the, uh, the kingdom by the thousands, that how they suffered under persecution. I want you to see these things, but sometimes what we forget is that in order for the Holy Spirit to move in power in our life, we have to make room in our life for the Holy Spirit to move. And this is what's called spiritual maturity. That we have to carve out some space. Because one thing the Holy Spirit won't do is He won't knock you out of your bad habits unless you give Him permission to. He won't reconstruct your calendar unless you give Him permission to. He won't take control of your finances unless you give Him permission to. He won't enable you to commit to community unless you are willing to let him speak to you in that way. And so when we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, what we see is almost a wee bit of a litmus test of maturity that began to settle into the early church. And so last week what we did is we talked about their commitment to grow. And they grew in a couple of areas. I'm just going to recap this quickly. They grew in the word is that the, the Scripture tells us that they committed themselves or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine in some of your Bibles. So what were they doing? Is that they were coming and they were looking at the Scriptures and looking at the, the Scriptures that they had because they didn't, have, they didn't really have the Bible like we have the Bible today. But what they would do is take the scrolls of old and they would look into them and see how the Old Testament, before it was the Old Testament, they talked about Jesus the Messiah and then they would they would begin to look at these things and, and look at the prophecies of the promise that's why when Peter got up in Acts 2 filled with the Holy Spirit who did he quote from Joel didn't he the prophet Joel see and so the Holy Spirit was moving them so they had to make a commitment to grow in this they had to make a commitment to come together and to learn, to, to hear the Word, to be conformed into the image of the Word, not to let their image conform the Word. And this is an important truth for us today, is that we too must come to the Word and be conformed into the image of the Word and learn. There is a dual aspect when we come to the Word, that first we have to come and we have to apply our heart and our mind to the Word is that you can't just simply read the Word and make it say what you want it to say, but you've got to study the Word, and you've got to know the Word, and you have to be conformed and let the Holy Spirit speak to you so that you can be conformed to the image of the Word. You have to make time to come to the Word. The other thing that they committed themselves to when they grew is community. It says that they committed themselves to fellowship. They understood that they didn't grow alone. It's impossible to grow alone. And again, you guys all get a gold star because you're here today. <laughs> That's a, you all laugh. Just come on, everybody lighten up a little bit, please. I'm just joking. They understood that they couldn't grow alone, that the, the significance of fellowship, and even though they didn't have this letter to refer to, what they understood is what Paul writes in Ephesians, that God has knit us all into this body of Jesus Christ together. And we're all joined together. And each as we're joined together, supplies what the person uh, next to us needs. And if you could imagine that we would all be connected like cells in a body in this fellowship right now, 
Imagine if your cells started to revolt in your body. They've got a term for that, isn't it? It's called cancer. In our physical bodies. And in the same way, God created us to be in fellowship, and they understood the importance of this, but the key to fellowship is you have to make time for it, and you have to value it. You have to let the Holy Spirit speak to you to understand that you can't grow alone. As much as we want to, sometimes you can't grow simply from just watching a television program or listening to a podcast. Those are great tools sometimes, but you have to be in fellowship. You have to be in fellowship. And they understood this as a mark of maturity. The the third thing is this. When the scripture tells us that the breaking of bread, and that this wasn't just a meal, but this was a meal focused around the centrality of Christ, what we share at communion. And they understood that what made them come together was not just the fact that they liked each other or loved each other. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they grew in that. But what brought them together, what held them together, was the centrality of Jesus Christ. And they often remembered what the sacrifice of Jesus provided them. When they came to the table, they remembered that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, allowed His blood to be shed for the remission of our sin and allowed His body to be broken so that death could be conquered in our behalf. That we were brought into a new covenant through this beautiful sacrifice. And as new covenant believers, we live for the glory of Jesus Christ. And they, they kept that centralized around the nature of their relationship. And what's the significance of that for us today is that we too must keep Jesus at the center of our relationships. And sometimes that's hard because you're in relationship with people. Maybe they don't know Jesus or maybe... They're just kind of on the outskirts, but it's okay. We need to make it our goal and ask the Holy Spirit for courage to make Jesus the center of our relationships. Even in this place, that we have to make Jesus the center of our relationships. We have to glorify Jesus when we're together. We have to sing about Jesus. We need to celebrate Jesus at the table. That is why we do this. This is not a ritual. This is not a liturgy that we follow because we need to fill in some space. But this keeps us centralized around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Around the truth of who He is. That we have been joined in Him in a new covenant. And the fourth thing was prayer. That they understood the power of prayer. When you read the book of Acts, what you'll see over and over again, that whatever situation they faced, whether it was Peter in jail, Peter was praying, and the people and the believers outside the jail were praying because they understood that things happen when they pray. Things happen when we pray. And when we center our lives around prayer and we make time for prayer, God moves. And so what's exciting about this is this, is that these are all promises that we can take, that God desires to grow us as a mark of maturity, but in the same way, it also serves as a firm reminder to us that we need to allow the Holy Spirit, submit to the Holy Spirit and make room for these things to happen. That we have to move in a way with the Holy Spirit that He creates space in our life for these to happen. All right. That was just a quick recap, so let's dig in, all right? You guys are like, what? That wasn't it? Nope. All right, so y'all brace yourself. Everybody smile because today we're going to talk about the next little piece of this. In verse 44 of Acts 2, it says, And all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Today I want to talk to you about another mark of maturity that the Holy Spirit wants to grow us in, and that's what we and how we value our material possessions. Okay, and so as I say this, what I want to first give to you is just a tremendous amount of grace, okay? Because I understand when we talk about this, sometimes our minds shut off, but I want to encourage you that God has actually constructed this as a way to keep an eternal value in our life, to keep the Holy Spirit front and center in our life, and it also is a way to bless us, okay? There's a joy that comes when we understand this principle. So what did they do? Is that the first thing that they did is they expressed a proper value on material possessions. And this is something that we can learn from is because they held on to an eternal perspective on the value of their material goods, A lot of times we lose sight of that because the things that we own, the things that we work so hard for, sometimes we don't see those things with an eternal perspective. And when that gets twisted up, what happens is a lot of times we can begin to get into the wrong pursuit when it comes to uh, us trying to gain material things. And so one of the things that's so remarkable that we read here in, in Acts 2 44 and 45 is this, is that the things they had, they literally, as the Holy Spirit infused them, began to see them, those things not as theirs, but as God's. And so they took something that had a finite value, a finite value, an earthly value, and they exchanged it for an eternal value. And that's a challenge if we're honest. That's something that we can all be very challenged in. I want to give you a little bit of perspective from the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 6. And why this perspective needs to be something that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us on. In Matthew 6, 24, this is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon in some of your translations. Let me just break this down and give you a little bit of understanding about what Jesus is saying. Because sometimes when we read this, we don't read this correctly. It's important for us to get a little bit of perspective. The first thing here that Jesus is saying is this, is that earthly riches or the pursuit of riches on this earth has a huge pull on us. It has a huge pull on us. Now, that's that's not rocket science, is it? Every commercial that you read, like the, the most irritating commercial to me comes around Christmas with the couple that have their Mercedes in a bow on their driveway. <laughs> I've said this before, but I'm like, I can't purchase a candy bar without my wife knowing. How did that joker pull off a Mercedes without his wife knowing? I don't know. But there's, and, and, and we see that and we go, oh, that would be awesome. And some of you quietly walk out into the driveway on Christmas after getting your tie, and you go, oh, <laughs> my beat-up Civic's still there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Here's my point. Listen, I'm joking. But, but we see a lot of pull, don't we, in this world toward p- possession, toward p- the pursuit of these things. We esteem it. We esteem it in our system of this world that we, we see it as from a marketing perspective and we want these things. It's always something else, something else, something else. 
Your, your iPhone's, you know, two series behind. You need the new one, right? Like, it's, it's always something else. And this is one of the first things that Jesus is saying in this, in this simple verse, is that the pursuit of these things has a huge pull. It has a huge pull. And we have to acknowledge that. First, we have to acknowledge that and see that. That if we're honest, and there's no two ways to dice this up, that the system of this world has an agenda, and it's a pursuit of material things. Whether those things equal status, whether those things equal fulfillment, whatever, it's a huge pull. But Jesus says something else here with this, which I think is a bigger point, and it's this, is that you're going to serve something. And you're either going to serve that which is eternal, those things that exist with the nature of God and the kingdom of heaven, or you are going to serve something that is finite, something established to the system of this world. And you have to choose. You have to choose that you're either going to serve that which is eternal or you're going to serve the system of this world. Now the third thing which needs to be heard very clearly and understand very clearly is that Jesus is not rebuking money. He is not rebuking money here. He is not telling you to make money. He is not telling you to, if, you're, if you get offered a pay raise, say, nope, nope, I'm not attached to the system of this world. Sorry, boss, I'd love to take the extra money. Jesus told me not to love money. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Here's what Jesus is saying. Is that when it comes to the way money affects us, and if money controls our time, if it controls our generosity, and it controls our security, then it's gotten out of place. I thank the Lord for people in this, in this fellowship who are generous, and you guys are a generous church. I thank the Lord for people in this fellowship who God has honored in, in their business, and they sow so tremendously into this church, that God has blessed them, and, they, and they, they return that to the Lord. They see it as the Lord's. And here's what Jesus is saying is this, is that when money controls your time, when you spend all your time trying to gain the pursuit of wealth, riches, then it's got to control on you. If money controls your generosity where you can't let it out of your hands because you think you own it, then you've got a problem. If money controls your security, meaning this, that I won't be safe until I have this, 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 or this. Listen, it's okay to save. It's okay to have a 401k. It's okay to have a retirement plan. You need to have those things. But I want to tell you this. Those things are not your security. That's not your security. And if money becomes any of those things, then Jesus says, listen, you fall into the category where you are serving the pursuit of riches more than allowing riches to serve an eternal value. Okay. Let me just give a little bit more context to this in Matthew 6, okay, just so we understand. In Matthew 6, 19 and 21, Jesus says, It's don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is the key point here. This is what I want you to hear. Where your treasure is, then that's where your heart will be also. Okay, make sure your heart, when it comes to stuff, is directed toward heaven. Okay? Matthew 6.33, Jesus says it like this, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Money is not an eternal commodity. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. It's either going to be served or it will serve a purpose. All right. I want to talk to you for just a second about areas where our generosity needs to be challenged. Okay, and we're talking about this idea of allowing the Holy Spirit. Everybody okay? Okay. All right. Good. All right. These are areas where our generosity needs to be challenged. And the first area that I want to talk to you is about the giving of tithes and offerings. So I'm going to discuss why we tithe, all right, and our approach and understanding. And what I'm going to use is just a couple of scriptures in the Bible. Now, at the end of the day, you have to decide. You have to decide. Because there's a couple of different arguments regarding the tithe that we see that, that pop up. As a pastor, I hear from time to time. I don't really hear them. I've, I've, I've actually just truthfully never heard them in this church and and. Thank, thank you, but you, maybe you, you think this way, and that's okay. That's okay. But I have heard these before. And it's this, that the, the tithe is an Old Testament principle. We're not under that. And Jesus, that the New Testament tells us something different. And, and there's, there's, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that, but I want to talk to you about, a little bit about what the Scripture says. Okay, so let's start in Genesis 14, 19 through 20 with a very confusing passage, all right? Because that's a great way to talk about the tithe and offering. Let me confuse you. All right. Come on, guys. Everybody, everybody smile and laugh. Hey, it's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday to my wife. She's 47 today, and and uh, oh, I'm just kidding. She's not. She's not. 52? No, I'm just kidding. All right, okay. In Genesis 14, 19 through 20, it says this. Then Mechizeldek. King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God of, of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram, the God by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave a tenth of everything. Why well, am I reading this to you? Because here we see um, really um, not the first, but a, a time that precedes the law where the tithe is mentioned. Because a tithe means a tenth. And it's not just a tenth, it's a tenth of your, it's the first 10% of your, of your income or of your property, as it was the case in the Old Testament, but it was the best. It was the best. Okay. So I want to talk about who this Mechizeldek guy is really quick. And there's, there's some room here, okay, but I want you to hear because there's a couple of places um, that he is mentioned again, because Mechizedek means the king of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you why this is significant, because many scholars believe that Mechizedek was a type of Christ. He was a picture of Christ. 
And even we see this in Psalm 110 where he is mentioned, talked about, almost in a messianic psalm. But we also hear the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 6.20 mention Mechizedek in the line of Jesus Christ as a type of Christ Jesus. And so why am I bringing this up to you? Is because to me, in my heart, the idea or the argument that exists in some people's hearts of, is this an Old Testament principle? Is this something that we're not under anymore? I would say, no. I would say that this is something that, that God ordained. And He ordained it for a reason, as we're going to see in just a second. He ordained it for a purpose, and it's to God, it's to Christ, it's, it's to Him. It's not to an organization, it's not to a church. And that's probably one of the most difficult things that we really have to establish and settle in our head when it comes to our tithe and our offering, isn't it? It's because a lot of times you write a check and it has a name on it, doesn't it? It's Freedom Christian Fellowship on it. But if the biggest revelation that I can give you or allow the Holy Spirit to give you is this, is that you're not writing that to the church, but you're writing it to God. Because it belongs to Him. It belongs to Him. And there's a reason why. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And your barns will be overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In Malachi, this is the one that a lot of times you hear spoken about regarding the tithe, but I want to I read this to you. In Malachi 3, 8 and 12, and it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your ancestors. You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Let me stop and say that this was speaking directly to Israel at a time of exile, a time of their return. And so this word was for them. But I want you to also hear the words of the Lord. But you ask, how do we return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, a whole, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord God, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now I want to just kind of read some... I want to read this and explain this a little bit. Though this was written by a prophet to a nation that was turned away from God, there are some things that we can understand from this passage and, and know that we have to really implicitly know, that we have to understand and acknowledge and allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation into us. And it's this one of the reasons why God asks us, I believe, to tithe is this. Is because it keeps us from the place of ownership. It keeps us in understanding that there is one who blesses us, that there is one who adds to our increase. 
that we don't do it. See, it becomes a very, to me, a very significant argument for sovereignty. To say that this is not my life, this is not my stuff, but God, if I am yours, then what I possess is yours too. Because without you, I neither have life or the ability to gain possession. And whether or not you believe that this scripture is for you, that's fine. You decide. But the sovereignty of God cannot be argued with. He is the one who puts breath in your lungs. He is the one who puts strength in your hand. He is the one who opens the doors for your provision. And when we choose to honor Him with that, we testify to that truth. Now, there's another little significant thing that you can do if you desire to. It's your, your choice, but God actually gives a wee bit of a promise. He says, you can actually test me in this. And there are zero times in the Scripture where Jesus says, you can test me. Except for this. Test me in this. Test me and see what I do. See how I provide for you. Now let's go into the New Testament and talk about the heart of the matter, okay, that, that I see. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, I'm actually only going to read to verse 8. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, the New Testament ups the ante a wee bit here. And some people look at this and say, well, this is my requirement to give. To give cheerfully. To give generously. What I would tell you is this. Is that this is a reflection of a heart that is completely yielded. And here Paul writes and he gives us a little bit of warning. He says, don't give under compulsion. And that means this, is that you don't need somebody to come up and beg, nor do you need any kind of person that could be recognized as a charlatan telling you that you need to give in order to receive something from God. Nobody. Good. You don't need any charlatan to tell you that you need to send in a certain amount of money so that you can receive a blessing from God. Okay. Sorry, I'm just getting a little... Because this is what Paul's talking about. But he's saying, listen, this should be the overflow of a heart that is growing in maturity with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes what we look at and we say, oh... See, I don't have to tithe because I just need to give generously. But friend, I want to just direct you back to the Scripture and say, if you're going to do that, then you have better listen to the Holy Spirit. And you had better decide in your heart. And when you give, I need to see you do a jig. Look what I'm doing, Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm joking about that. Don't do that. But you better do it joyfully. Joyfully. 
And don't ever make change in the offering. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have a little I'm sorry, guys. I'm being a little too silly today. Forgive me. All right, so this is what it comes down to, okay, in all honesty and all sincerity, all right? First is you have to decide. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, and you have to decide what you believe. But I can tell you there's people in this room, so many people in this room that would tell you, when I made the decision to tithe, when I made the decision to honor God and not tithe in my offering, that I saw God move. I saw God do great things. I tested him, and I saw him. You have to decide. Again, just so you know, it's just a, I don't know why I'm telling you guys this, but this is a policy that we've always held in this church. I don't look at who gives. We have two wonderful people who are extremely faithful and wonderful that uh, count it, and all they do is they give me a number. And I do that for a reason. I have pastor friends that look at who give. That's between you and the Lord. Because you're not giving me your money. You're giving the Lord. You're honoring the Lord. The sovereign Lord. You're not honoring me. You're not honoring me. Okay? I can't bless you. Some of you might say I do bless you with my messages. But, <laughs> oh man, alright. I'm trying here. <laughs> alright, my wife just gave me the nod. Like, shut up. I wasn't feeling great this morning. <laughs> Can I? All right. Let's wrap this up. Okay, so I want to talk to you about another place that we need to be challenged, okay, in our generosity. So we talked about this, but I want to talk to you another place because th- this idea in Acts 2, 44 and 45 is, is not just about tithes and offerings, this idea. It's more, way more than that. And so... We need to be challenged in our giving toward the needs of others. In the actual act of generosity when there is a need. We have to be challenged in that area. Let me read again in 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read 9 through 11. And it says this, As it is written, you have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Then righteousness endures, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Listen, that we have to have some margin in our life to be able to meet needs that present themselves as they come. This is what the early church did is that they had some margin in their life, in the way of their finances, to be able to be generous. So this is the question. Do we see the abundance, the fruit of our abundance, as an opportunity to serve and meet the needs of others? Because if we really want to grow in this area of generosity, and there's something so marvelous about this, when we choose to be generous... There is something so life-giving, so powerful. When I was at Christ for the Nations, we had a week where this gentleman named Wayne Myers would come in. And Wayne Myers was a World War II veteran who got saved on a Navy ship. And God just, just put in this principle in his life of generosity. It was insane. 
And so he would come into the, the group of students and he would encourage us to all give something to somebody. Like, not to the CFNI, not to Christ for the Nations, but to somebody in a friend or a person who had a need. And so students were going and paying school bills for other students. My friend gave me a, whole, a suit, like a, a, not just the jacket and the pants, but the, the shirt, the tie, the belt, the undershirt, the socks, the shoes. He gave me everything but the underwear. He's like, I want it to be complete. And what God used Wayne Myers with is this, is this idea as, as being a conduit. And, and he saw himself as this. He said, God, if you can trust me by putting the ability to be generous into my hands, I will return it to the places that, I'll get it to the places you need it to. And so with, without question, his whole life, after he gave himself to the Lord, that there would be opportunities where people would come and just give him either homes or give him money. And he would say, Lord, where do you want me to sow it? It's not mine. Where do you want me to sow it? He lived a completely simple life. It was amazing to see the flow of possessions and wealth that came through this man's hands that he used and turned to use to benefit the kingdom. But I want to tell you that's an act of maturity. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we see the fruit of our abundance as an opportunity to serve and meet the needs of others? And there's a couple of places that we need to look, that we need to look at the needs within the church. And there's a few biblical commands to pay attention to. To the care of the widows, and to the care of the orphans, and the care of the needy. Those who have less in our church. That if we want to be a biblical church where the Holy Spirit flows, then we have to pay attention to those needs. We have to look at the needs in our community. We have to look at the missional impact of the gospel. There's people that maybe you're connected with that are serving in other areas of the world where they're preaching the gospel and creating margin in the area of our finances for us to be generous fuels that. What are some decisions that affect our generosity? Really quick, and I want to close with this. The first decision that affects your generosity is this. Is what you believe about your job. I know that sounds a little crazy. But I want to speak to you just quickly about how God redeems the nature of our job. Justin, you can come on up, man. What do we believe to be true about our job? Are we serving the Lord or are we serving our purpose? Some of you say, there's no way I can serve my purpose at my job. But I want to tell you this, that when you go to your job, it's not your boss or your employer that you're serving, but it's the Lord. It's the Lord. You're working unto the Lord. When we, when we kind of think about this in the culture that existed within the writing of some of the books in the New Testament, where Paul and Peter wrote to those who were in, indentured servants and urged them to work unto the Lord. 
When we read this, we should listen to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to create a new value and a reconstructed joy inside of us when we come to the work. Because, listen, church, if you hate your job, you will be miserable. But if you hate your job because of the people at the job, then I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That this would be your prayer, that you say, God, help me to understand that I'm not working for my employer, but I'm working for you. And this is what I promise will happen if the Holy Spirit recreates that inside of you. That you will begin to work with joy, and you will begin to work more efficiently and harder than you've ever had before. And I promise you, you'll be recognized. I had a breakdown of this when, when, when I was in Los Angeles. We took a job on a, at a church as youth pastors and associate pastors before we understood two things, what we were going to get paid and how expensive it is to live in Los Angeles with five kids. People literally thought that my wife ran a daycare when she would bring all the kids to school. It was insane. Nobody had five kids in L.A. Can't afford it. And so I had to work a full-time job bivocationally. Oh, and I hated this job. And I hated it. I remember I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, listen, I, I was just crying. I said, I, can't, I don't know, man. It, I don't know if I can do this. He said, just hang on, man. Hang on a little while. Things are changing, man. Don't, don't worry. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying and I know I put him in a bad spot when I said that. And I went back to that place. I was a, I was a, a customer servant, uh, service general manager at a high-end building company in Beverly Hills. If there was ever to be a reality show written, it would have been about that point in my life. Because I can't build Legos. And people in Beverly Hills, their expectation level is unrealistic. And I was miserable. And we went and took our youth to, to YFN. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. We flew them in a plane all the way to Dallas, Texas, just so they could go to YFN and eat at an, an In-N-Out burger. A Sonic. They want to eat a Sonic. I'm getting somewhere with this story. Y'all relax. <laughs> and we were sitting in the little room where all the youth pastors are sitting. And Benny Perez, if you, if you don't know who Benny Perez is, YouTube him. He was up there and he was talking to the youth pastors just going through something on a whiteboard. And he flips around. In this room about 40 youth pastors. He goes, you. <laughs> He's looking my direction. But I'm like, not me. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Not me. And he goes, no, you. Stop ducking. Stand up. And I stand up. And he begins to speak prophetically into my life. And he says, God sees you. God knows you. He's going to care for you. Don't get over it. 
I'm going to tell you, something just went off in me. Boom. I had the wrong perspective. God, you called me to L.A. You knew my needs. You know my family size. You've blessed me along the way. I've never been homeless. My kids are in a great school. God, you're doing great things at the church. Then why am I tripped up over this job? Oh, Woo. Friends, I'll tell you what, when, when we get a Holy Spirit perspective on this, it begins to change us. And I want to tell you, there's a flow of generosity that flows, but it starts by having joy at your workplace and seeing the things that you do as an opportunity to glorify Jesus Christ. Do we have margin in our finances? Do we have a budget? Have we allowed the Holy Spirit to guide our budget? If you don't, take time. Take time. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your budget. Look at the other margins. The space that you need in your life to serve what the Holy Spirit has called you to. Because it's not just about your finances, it's about your time, it's about your spiritual gifts, it's about the way you encourage people, your encouragement that you give, it's about your worship, your worship. This morning, man, what a beautiful opportunity to trust the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity to trust the Lord. God is so good. He is so worthy, isn't He? So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you an opportunity to give. And this is what I want to declare over every one of you is just the grace of Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to say. Just the grace of Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, why did you wait to the end? Are you trying to prime the pump? Nope, 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 nope. You're not giving to me. If you're giving out a compulsion, put your money away. I'm serious. Dead serious. But some of you guys listen that there's been a little bit of a stranglehold in your, in your life in this area. And you're saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you. Then it's okay. Listen. If you want to see God break through in your life, take the smallest step you can. Say, God, I'm trusting you. Maybe you don't need to put anything in there, but you need to say, God, I want to come to a place in my life where I can do this. I want to come to a place in my life where I can trust you. I can trust you. Because you are sovereign. You put everything in my life. You give me every good gift. You desire to put goodness in front of me. You desire for my life to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can honor you in the things that I pursue, whether it's my job or my possessions, that they can serve an eternal value. I promise you, friends, when that happens, there's a switch that takes place in our life. There's a joy. Because you will never get enough stuff. You'll never get enough stuff. That's why people name their boats Money Pit. <laughs> Look what people name their boats. You're never going to get enough stuff. But I want to tell you, listen, when your stuff holds an eternal perspective, 
then there's a joy and a fulfillment that comes. Let's pray. If you need an envelope, just raise your hand. If not, I want to pray over this. And I know this message sometimes is a little tough. Some of you go, no, 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 pastor, this is good, this is good. Some of you go, ugh, I don't want to hear about this. But here's the thing, is that we can't preach through the parts of the Bible that we just like to hear. Is that sometimes we've got to tackle the things that are a little bit more difficult to, to swallow. And like we have to listen to what the Word says, okay? And if, and if listen, you're, you're not under any compulsion. And your decision is up to you between you and the Lord. But the Word says what the Word says. Okay? And so we choose to be conformed into the image of the Word, not to conform the Word into our image. Alright? Let's pray. Father, I thank You in the name of Jesus for Your Word. Your Word is truth. God, I just pray Your grace upon every person, Lord. I know how much You love every person. God, I thank You for the times in my life that I struggled to release Lord, there have been times in my life where I've struggled, God, where I said there's not enough. I, I, I know that. And so, God, I just declare grace. Lord, it's not about, Father, what's dropped in the bucket, God, but it's about our heart. And so, Lord, as a congregation, we just say, God, that we just cheerfully and gladly honor you as a sovereign one in our life. That we bless you, God. We thank you, Lord, for the provision that you put into our lives Lord, we even make a bigger confession this morning as we thank you for our jobs. Even the jobs that we hate right now. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us just a renewed perspective. God, that you would just cling to our spirit, the understanding that we're working for you, Jesus. And that the fruit of our hands glorifies you, Jesus. The fruit of our mind, the fruit of our attitude, it glorifies you, Jesus. That you, Holy Spirit, would supernaturally just recreate an eternal perspective in our life about the pursuit of these things that we go after in the world, Lord. I thank you for your abundance and I thank you for your blessing, God. But I thank you, Lord, that we attach an eternal perspective on these things, Lord. That, Father, that this church would be a church that meets the needs of the people in this church, God. That you would give us eyes to see, Lord God. That we would live in such a way where there's margin, Lord, whether it's through, Lord, money or whether it's through time or skill or whatever it is, a possession, God. That we would, too, be a conduit, Lord, where just you could trust us, God, to just let things go, Lord, through us to the areas of need. Oh, I thank you for that, God, in this church. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Okay, then we're going to, once this is done, we're going to have a communion. We're going to celebrate this together. It's a little different today, guys, I know. But I want to pray for those of you who feel that you might be in a place where there's something hitched up to your train, to your wagon. That, man, it was on, it was on daddy or mama, grandmama, papa, great papa, great grandma. You're like Hank Williams Jr. 
Why do you drink? Why do you smoke? It's a family tradition. Right. All right. Let's laugh because the Holy Spirit's going to move. I want to tell you something that, uh, oh baby, when we were at Christ for the Nations, the very last, one of the last times we had, Kim and I, when we were there, right before we broke for summer, we had a time where the teachers and the professors were up at the front and they were praying for this and they broke generational curses. They prayed for that. And it was powerful. There was like a lightning rod that went off in my wife's life. She said, she marked that day. As a day where things were broken. And again, I don't want anybody to get lost in semantics because I don't want to see anybody miss the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives. So whatever it is, if there's something that you can't, put down there's something you can't shake or you can't let go of he is the chain breaker all right oh he is a chain breaker amen why don't you stand to your feet hallelujah hallelujah we love you jesus we love you jesus oh we just exalt you jesus we glorify you jesus we love you jesus Oh, we love you, Jesus. Just worship the Lord. We just love you, Jesus. We exalt you. You're the one who set us free. You're the one who set us free, Jesus. Through your blood, through your body, you set us free, Jesus. You broke every chain. You broke every chain. I want to invite you to come to the table now. And when you're done, when you're done with the table, if you need prayer, you just to come stand right up here right up here when you're done and I want to pray over you okay so come to the table now and if you need prayer when you're done just come stand right here hallelujah 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 thank you Jesus Lord we just commit this time to you we thank you that you are the one who breaks every chain God and I just declare over every person Lord just your freedom God your freedom your freedom your freedom You are a good God. You love us. Your grace is continually renewed toward us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the chain breaker. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So, Father, today I just declare your grace over every person, Lord, that they would, Lord, just celebrate and dwell in the presence of your goodness today, God, and every day. That tomorrow on their day off, I hope most of them have a day off, that they would be able to rest and relax and enjoy the day. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Let your goodness and your mercy overshadow us, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great Memorial Day. We love you. See you next week.